So, yeah, I have two kids, preschool aged, one on the way. I have a kid website. So if I start, like, doing Disney examples for theology or something, y'all just show show me some grace because I'm always a mess with two little ones. Okay. So our topic today is, I named it, Biblical Suffering and God's Promises Through It. Um, And I'm going to do two disclaimers before we start. One is... um, Don't get freaked out that our study guide is three pages long. I will not take that long, I promise. But I did kind of design the study guide um, as also partly your homework. So I included a ton of scripture in there. I'm not going to read all of it, but at least it's there for you. And what I want you to do as we're going through is I want you to just be encouraged to, you know, make a a little star or something next to Maybe some of the things that you want to dig deeper into um, or some of the things that you question and then go back. You can use those scripture references to go back and say, okay, let me look at this. And one of the ways I do it um, is I'll read a scripture. I mean, it's pretty simple. You read a scripture and most of our Bibles have a concordance and it's going to lead you to other scripture and that scripture is going to lead you to this scripture and you're going to find this beautiful tapestry that God creates for us within his word um, and you'll be able to really dig in yourself. So that's kind of how I designed the study guide to incorporate into your homework. Um, And then the second is, the second disclaimer is that I named this um, biblical suffering and God's promises through it because I think that First, I'm going to dig into a little bit of just kind of the doctrine of suffering, because I think as we do that, A, we have to understand suffering and what it is in order to then claim those promises and to um, benefit from the promises that God gives us in his word. So we're going to kind of dig into that, and you'll see how those kind of buds of the doctrine will then blossom into some of the promises. So you'll see it all throughout what we're doing. Um, Okay. So, we'll start out here. I kind of broke down suffering into three different types of suffering that we endure on this earth. And I've got blanks for you. The first is suffering from persecution. Suffering from persecution. And really that's for the sake of the gospel, for... um, those who, obviously us, when we are um, out in the world, we're going to get persecution here and there. Um, You know, we're blessed to live in a free land, so we may not feel it as much as others, but we know that persecution is very present, and it's all throughout the Bible. Jesus is our main example of being persecuted. Um, So that's one type of persecution is, uh, I mean, one type of suffering is from persecution. There's also suffering from the consequences of sin for the purpose of discipline. I gave you, again, some scripture references, but I'm not going to go through all of these. I do want to read to you Psalm 119.67. When we talk about discipline, I love this, um, this reference. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And 
68 says, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Um, and the word for afflicted there, before I was afflicted, I went astray, is um, before I was humbled, before I was brought low. So when we sin, we're going to have consequences. We are going to suffer through the consequences of our sin. We are going to be humbled when we stray off of the path that God has for us. But the beauty of that is that when he brings us back, we keep his word and we know that that's what is good and teaches us. Um, the last type of suffering that I put here is suffering from grief or trials. Suffering from grief or trials. And that's where we're going to kind of camp out mostly. I think that um, of the three that I broke down here, I think that um, suffering from grief or trials is probably the hardest to understand for us and the hardest for us to um, swallow sometimes. So that's kind of where our study is, is going. Um, let's talk about two different things. One is what suffering is. And then the next point is going to be what suffering is not. We're just going to go through these um, kind of quickly. Number one is suffering is to be expected. All over the Bible, God tells us that we are going to suffer, which is kind of daunting. Um, if you have not suffered yet, you will there are different degrees of suffering, and we're going to go over that. But suffering is a part of this world. Um, so it is to be expected. First Peter, you see the reference there, 4, 12 through 13, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So expect it. Suffering is also necessary. And I am going to go through these two verses. Um, 1 Peter 1, 6-7, because I want to explain this a little bit. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, if necessary. Now, we're, I'm, I'm going to go over this a little bit more in a second, but this particular verse is speaking to the suffering through persecution, okay? And sometimes... We have to experience that for our faith to be strengthened. I don't want us to get that necessarily confused with the suffering of grief and trials. Grief and trials, yes, do increase our faith and increase our strength. But God is not saying, if necessary, I need to give you some grief so that you'll be faithful. Okay, so that it's talking about the persecution. Romans 5, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus himself had to suffer in this world, and if we are called his heirs, if we're called heirs of God, if we're called the brothers of Christ, in order to identify with him fully, 
there's going to be suffering involved so that we can become closer to Christ. So in order to be heirs, we do have to suffer. And look at the quote. It's in there in your, um, in your uh, study guide from Elizabeth Elliot. So if you know her story, she's, she's been through much suffering in her life. And she says, is suffering, suffering meaningless? Is it for nothing? I believe that suffering is never for nothing. Is it pure chance? Is it just something that happens for no reason at all? No, it is a necessity, and the Lord himself could not escape suffering. So we know that it is necessary for our strengthening. And then one thing, I didn't put this, but you might want to write this in. This is kind of my side note number three, is that um, suffering is ordained, but it's not always necessarily designed. And I'm going to explain that It is ordained, but not necessarily designed. And this will kind of lead us into what suffering is not. It is ordained, but not necessarily designed. And here's what I mean by that. And what I mean, I'm I'm speaking to suffering from grief or trials that we go through. Our God is a good God, and he is a sovereign God. So anything that happens to us is ordained. It's going, it has to cross through his hands first. But when we're talking about deep suffering through grief and trials, while God allows it, God does not look to us and say, let me see how I can smite her. Let me see how I can put this together so that she then will grow in her faith. That is not the God that we serve. God does not um, specifically design a, a grief situation, a death, a, um, you know, a terrible accident or something like that, so that we can then grow in our faith. It is because we live in a fallen world. And that is a part of it. This is what we're going to go into next. Um, But it's not always necessarily designed exactly by God because he wants something to happen with this, okay? Um, and, And here's where we go into this. Suffering is not always easily understood. We could spend the rest of our life trying to study the doctrine of suffering, and we would never fully understand it. It's one of those things that, um, that there is a matter of faith and trust and um, understanding that God is sovereign, and we have to, to sometimes leave it in his hands that way. Um, and there's not always an answer to the why of suffering. Um, and I put in here, simply stated, suffering is a byproduct of a broken an imperfect world. And I learned this. I'm going to go through my own story in a little bit. But um, again, I learned that sometimes when we go through trials or we go through deep grief or, or a type of suffering, there's not always an answer to say, God, why did I have to go through this? Or why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you protect my family from this? Why didn't you protect my loved one? Why did um, something like this have to happen? 
there's not always a why. There's not always a, well, this had to happen so that this could happen. What we see is that it's simply the fact that our world has fallen. We groan for the time where creation is perfected again. There's sin and corruption. We have a, a very, very evil enemy. And he is the one who's designing those sufferings. You know, God allowed Satan to test Job, to put him through every trial that we could possibly imagine. It was ordained, he allowed it, but God did not say, okay, here's what you need to do to him. To, you need to kill off his family, you need to kill off his livelihood, you need to afflict him and, and do this. God did not design that, he allowed it. But Satan's the one who designed how he would suffer. And that's one way that he can use to just um, break us and tear us down. But the fact is, is that we live in this world and it's to be expected. Um, I'm going to read real quickly Romans 8, 20 through 23. You can turn there with me if you want. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we live in hope, but the fact is, is that we groan for that perfection because for those of us who've been through suffering, you don't always have that answer, but man, you can't wait until you don't have to deal with the suffering anymore. Um, suffering is not, this is the second point, to be compared The fact is, is that all of us will experience suffering, like I said, and it's all relative. It's relative to your life. It's relative to your situation, to your season. Um, and suffering through grief and trials can take on a lot of different um, labels or a lot of different circumstances. It could be, you know, a job loss. It could be infertility. It could be... Um, you know, infighting with your family. There, there's so many different things. It can be death and losses. It can be the loss of a child. It can be um, just having a hard day. It can be depression. I mean, there's so many things that we all struggle with, but we have to be careful because we are all made individually that we're not looking at somebody else's suffering and saying, I can't believe that tears her down so much. If she had to deal with, I, with what I had to deal with, you know, she wouldn't be complaining so much. Or the other way around, when you're in your own suffering, looking at somebody else and saying, I wish that's all I had to deal with. Or I wish that, you know, I could be in her circumstances. So it's not to be compared because God is teaching us something through our suffering, no matter what it is and no matter what level it is. So that's just kind of something to be cautious about. Um, you know, and sometimes our suffering, sometimes we're victims of suffering even from, from someone else's sin. I mean, sometimes we suffer because 
someone else is not right with God. This could be in a marriage or, um, you know, my family has been through, through very deep suffering, through a demonic bondage that someone in my family is in the midst of. And I cannot tell you the, the decades of suffering that my family has been through and that I have witnessed um, my parents go through and other loved ones because of somebody else's sin that they can't break. And that's their trial. It's the, it's the, the sinner's trial, but it's also those surrounding the sinner's trial. And it is great suffering. Um, and you want to say, why, God, why do we have to deal with this? But it's just a byproduct of evil and sin and, and corruptness. Um, you know, and I struggled uh, a little bit with some, with some recent suffering that I went through that I want to share with you because of this very thing of comparison. Um, that is probably one of my biggest downfalls is comparing. And as a, especially as a young mom, you know, you're always looking at what's wrong with my kids, nature versus nurture. People judge you. He's not potty trained yet, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so when you, when you are suffering... And then again, my family background is there is great suffering in my family background. And so when I, do, when I went through my specific grief, I thought, is this even like really valid that I'm suffering this much? Um, but I went through, in, at the end of 2012, um, that I, have, I have two very healthy children back to back, 23 months. And then at the end of 2012, I suffered a miscarriage at um, eight weeks, and it, I mean, it just blew me away, totally blew me away, and I am not, um, I'm not a very emotional person, probably to a fault, and I'm very realistic, I'm very, you know, and so in the past, hearing that this happened to other women, you're like, I'm sorry, but you don't really get it, and so when this happened to me, I mean, it put me on my behind, I mean, I was completely distraught um, and had, I, I, I just, compl I, I completely, it, it just put me down. I mean, I had never experienced grief like that before. Um, and I mean, once you go through it, you realize how many women do go through this. And it's a, um, I mean, one in four women. So you look around and a quarter of us have been through this. And um, it is very deep grief. And then you've got the psychotic emotions that go along with it and the hormones and the physical stuff. And I had to go through surgery and all this kind of stuff. So it was, um, it was deeply grieving to me. Um, and then about six months later, I got pregnant again. And so here we go. That was my grief. That was my trial. And at 12 weeks, I lost another baby. So I had two back-to-back -back miscarriages after having two back-to-back -back perfect pregnancies, perfect everything. Um, and it just really set me back for within 12 months. I had two, and it was, um, I was completely distraught. And that was, that was unknown to me because I am not, you know, an emotional person. So this just outpouring of grief was so unfamiliar to me. And so God took me to all of this and allowed me the chance to better understand what suffering is. But I did, I struggled with it because I thought, I mean, there are so many people who have had it so much worse than I, you know? 
is this really even valid to be this distraught over this grief? But grief is real, you know? It doesn't matter the form that it comes, but when it's grief, it's grief. Um, so anyways, I did struggle with the kind of the comparison factor, um, but God truly, truly grew me and grew my husband through this, what was our first major trial of our marriage in our family, I guess I should say. Um, and I'll, I'll speak back to it a little bit later. So how are we called to endure suffering? How do we get through this? What does God expect of us um, with much prayer? And the reference I gave you is, I mean, we don't really need to unpack it. James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Go to your knees. We're called to endure suffering with acceptance and endurance. First Peter 2.19 says, For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And what basically that means is that God shows us much grace. He shows us much favor whenever we are mindful of him through our suffering. So the word for gracious right there is, is, is the word for grace, the um, word charis in Greek, and it means finding favor in the sight of God. So what we can take from that is that the more that we are mindful, the more that we accept our suffering, and the more that we are willing to endure it in faith, the more we will see God's grace through that suffering. If we fight it, if we shake our fist about it, there's going to be a lesser amount of, of grace shed on that situation. Does that make sense? That we're not going to see it because our eyes are not open to it. There's a quote there that um, says, Suffering requires the right response of it if it is to be successful in accomplishing God's purposes. Suffering forces us to turn from trust in our own resources to living by faith in God's resources. And then we are also called to endure suffering with hope. And y'all know that, that familiar passage in Romans that, you know, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, which just does not disappoint us. Um, and there's obviously lots more, you know, we are not supposed to grieve as those who have no hope and that kind of thing. So that's what is expected and how we endure suffering. But that's a lot easier said than done. So, yeah, that's, I, I get that, but how do I do that? How, do, how can I physically endure this the way you're calling me to endure it so that I can see your hand of grace, God? Be rooted. And I put two passages from Colossians in there. Colossians is a book about suffering. That's what the book is about. It's about suffering the church um, um, through persecution. Young believers who were persecuted in their faith, how do they endure the suffering? How do they respond to it? So that's what the whole book is, is about. Um, and so Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, um, 
you know, walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I put that in bold. Um, We could spend another two hours on thanksgiving. Um, That's not where God took this um, today, but that is a, a major key, a major key in being rooted in your faith is being thankful and giving thanksgiving to God. Um, the second way to, to be rooted is found in Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And, um, and this is really, again, with Colossians, they were wrapped up with false teachings coming out. And so um, we have to protect our minds from false teachings, from false advice during suffering, you ever had that happen to you? Um, from false feelings. Now, our feelings are real. Our grief is deep. Our grief is real. But we do have to protect our minds. And all over the Bible, when you see the word mind, um, you know, there's obviously several different translations. This one is um, phroneo, which is Greek. And um, it means to feel or think and direct one's mind too. So we are to direct our minds to the things that are above. The root of it is frain. I'm just kind of, you don't have to write all this down, but to give you an idea of where this comes from. And that root word for phreneo, frain, is the midriff or the diaphragm, the parts of the heart. There's another, um, I'm trying to think, I had studied this before. There's another, um, it's in the Matthew where it's, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And that word for mind um, is like the center of your soul. That's what mind is in that particular passage. And what the point is, is that our mind directs our feelings, not the other way around. Our feelings cannot direct our mind. So when we're going through grief, if we are rooted before that, if we are purposeful about setting our mind on the truth of God's word, then that will direct some of our feelings. And you, you really do, because, you know, when you're going through a grieving situation, there are um, people love to give advice. And people love, they're, they're not trying to give advice necessarily, but they're trying to comfort you. And people say really silly things when they're trying to comfort you through grief. Um, And I had a couple people warn me about that. Um, I mean, I had, I'm trying to think of some. Um, I don't know why God doesn't want you to have a baby right now. Or it's all in his timing. Now, that, that is a biblical truth. Everything is in God's timing. But that did not apply to my grief. It wasn't God was like, we're going to take that one out because it's not time for you to have another one. Um, These are from family members. Um, That was God's protection because something worse could have happened. And what if you had to, what if you had to see that baby? What if if you had to see that baby with affliction, like with um, uh, physical afflictions? That did not help me. Um, I would have seen the baby, you know. And my favorite is I had my two kids were being crazy. One day we went out to lunch with a big group of my family members. And it was just one of those stressful, like by the time you got out of there, you were like, what just happened? My kids are devil children. Um, And we walked out and one of my family members (laughs) 
but God knew what he was doing, didn't he? Like, are you, really? That was my favorite. So people, and they're not realizing what they're saying. Do you see what I mean? But people, that's false teachings. Because if I thought that about my God, why even stick around? Do you know what I mean? But I believe that I serve a God of life and hope and love. And that I'm going to shake my fist at Satan, not at my God. You know? Okay. So, um, the second way that we can accomplish this endurance that we're called to do is perceive this world in the light of eternity. And then there's that Second Corinthians passage, um, you know, to look to things that are unseen, not to things that are seen, that the troubles of this world are, are momentary and transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. that we have to live with a kingdom focus. We have to live with the end in sight, that even though it doesn't feel light and momentary, it really is. Um, We don't know how we're gonna get to the next moment. We don't know how we're gonna get our heads up off the pillow the next day. So even a year or 50 years from now seems like an eternity, but we have to understand that this is the life that we live on earth but that we have the rest of eternity to live in perfection and glory, free from struggles and sin and suffering. So real quickly, I'm gonna go through, um, what it, okay, what's the payoff then with all the suffering? What, what are those promises that we can expect? Um, one is the gospel is magnified. And, um, and that is... It, it, it will be magnified in any suffering when we handle it the way that we are called and the way God has equipped us to handle it. Um, Philippians um, 1 says this, and that's where Paul is in the imprisoned, and he's writing a letter to the church at Philippi, and he um, is basically saying, you know, don't, don't be burdened because I'm in here, because I'm, I'm in jail the gospel has been advanced. Um, I've see, the Roman soldiers have, have seen, you know, how I handle this suffering. And then other believers in the young church have been emboldened. So those are byproducts. The gospel can always be magnified through our suffering. Um, real quick example, I have a friend whose husband has been out of work for like over a year. And he, um, he's a PhD. He's sent out like 1,100 um, applications over the past year, all over the country. But he's so, his, his um, expertise is such, such a niche that it's been real hard for him to find a job. But you see, she's been putting all this on Facebook and just everything that God has done. And I've even seen her respond to people that are like, how are you dealing with this? You're so, you know, like this happened. I would never be able to handle this. And she's right back at it. Like, let me tell you about Jesus and how he's provided for my family. The gospel is magnified through Facebook through their trials. Um, The second is that we experience God's comfort. And I put in there hitherto unknown, meaning we will experience God's comfort in a way that we've never experienced it before. Those of us who've been through a deep grief or a trial, you know, the payoff of how we learn um, a newness of God far outweighs the trial that we've been through. Not that we would want to do it again. <laughs> Not that we would say, okay, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll take it again if I can get it. But having the, um, 
some of that, some more of that veil lifted to God's glory is so uh, just magnificent and marvelous. Um, and real quick, I'm going to say this: the comfort that 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 is used in all of these verses that I listed out is um, the 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 Greek meaning for that is to summon or call near. The Greek word is periklesis, I think. I think I have it in there. I do have it. Okay, I'm probably mispronouncing it because I don't have it written on mine. I'm just remembering it. Um, that it is a, a nearness, a summoning of God, and he is summoning us. He is bringing us near to him, and that's what that comfort is. And the, near, the more, you, you know, the nearer we come to him, the more we learn about him. And real quick, I want to just point this out. This, to me, was the hugest thing that God taught me through my own suffering. Second Corinthians um, 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any afflictions with the comfort which we ourselves are completely comforted by God. So here's the deal. God does not give us trials so that we can comfort others, okay? That's another thing that you're going to hear a lot in grief. Maybe God did this so that one day down the road you can comfort somebody else. Yet that's a byproduct. It is. We're expected to do that. God gives us comfort through our trials so that we can comfort others with that same comfort. Do you see the difference? We don't go through the trial so that. We go through the comfort of God through the trial so that we can comfort others, okay? That was huge to me to understand. I don't know if, that's, if that sounds huge to you guys, but I'm like, okay, he didn't give me the trial so that I can comfort others. He comforted me so that I can understand how I can comfort others in the future. Number three is we gain a deeper understanding of God's sovereignty and faithfulness. God's sovereignty and faithfulness. And the fact is, the more that he comforts us and the nearer we come to him, the nearer he brings us, the more our trust and faith in him is um, strengthened. And the more we understand his sovereignty. And that's, that's a little bit hard to understand when you're going through a trial because a lot of people on the outside are going to look at it and go, how can like how does that show that God is a God of love or that he is sovereign when you've had to go through this? But once you start experiencing that comfort and the truth of what God promises in his word, then your view of God's sovereignty and his love is exponentially more than it was before you went through your suffering or your trial. Um and that first Peter verse says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You understand he is the creator of this earth. He is in control and he is faithful. My situation, my feelings and my um, love and dependency and faith in God are not dependent on my circumstances because my God does not change. He is faithful my circumstances often do. Um, and the, um, the quote, another quote here is, joy is not the absence of suffering, it is the presence of God. So when people see 
others who are experiencing joy in the midst of suffering, the only way they're doing that is because they have been brought near to God and they are experiencing his presence like nobody around them is at that moment. And there is nothing, um, joy will always come out of that because when you're nearer to God, you're, you're experiencing his glory. Um, and then lastly, we experience the victory over tribulation. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there is great victory in understanding that. Our, our Lord and Savior went through much tribulation, but he has overcome it. And that's the God that we serve. We sang about that earlier. Um, and we do serve a God of life and of love and of hope. Um, I'll share kind of my last example that I experienced this and just learned how um, I can get angry at Satan and shake my fist at him and say, I'm not gonna let this tear me down. I'm not gonna let this let you um, make me doubt my, my God and my Savior. There's no way. One way that God comforted me and I felt his presence and his nearness is through my first miscarriage, both of them I had to have surgery. Um, but anyways, so the, the lead up to that when I, when I was pregnant and when I was um, getting excited, whatever, over the summer, um, I worked with the children's choir, Alicia and I worked with the children's choir, and we were doing some songs, and Donna Carroll had chosen one song, the Revelation song. Have you all heard that? Worthy is the Lamb. Um, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. And the song is basically about God is holy, God is worthy, Jesus is who he is, he is the lamb, he is worthy to be, pra be praised, no matter what, he's worthy to be praised because of who he is, he's the lamb of God. And so I had been listening to the song, because Donna Carroll, we were teaching it to the kids, and I was going to sing a solo with it, and... Um, and I didn't know that I needed to know that about him, that he is worthy to be praised because he is who he is. And so I had just been singing it a lot and had it in my mind. And, um, and then I had to go in really late for an emergency surgery. And so that night, every single person that I went in to see was a believer. The, um, the anesthesiologist, the nurse, the, um, the doctor on call, was, I believe, every single one of them. And then when I woke up, here I am in the recovery room. I'm not kidding. I woke up, there was one nurse there. She was a, a believer. So that's four believers in the hospital, every person. When I woke up, that was the song that was playing. When I woke up in the recovery room, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. With all creation, I sing praise to the King of Kings. And I knew that God had placed that for me to say, it's not my circumstances. And Satan, if you want to try to make me not praise my God through what I've been through, um, you know, here's how I feel about you. Um, I cursed him out a few times. But to hear that song play, I knew God was with me. I knew he was with me and he was worthy just because of who he is. So I praise God for that. I praise God for what I've learned through my own suffering. Um, I'm a do we have time to do that song or is it two? Okay, I was just gonna play one more song. There's a video that is just a beautiful, um, y'all know this song, but um, 
that's just a good ending to know that we, we serve a God who has overcome.